Welcome to the Mind on My Money podcast presented by Pinnacle Trust. Hosted by RebelGrove.com publisher Neil McCrady and Pinnacle Trust financial guru Martin Palomo, the Mind on My Money podcast tackles the financial questions we're all thinking about. From paying for college to saving for retirement, from life insurance needs to 401ks and everything in between. The goal is to help you take the stress out of financial concerns and give you some tips to enjoy life while your mind is on your money. Now here are your hosts, Neil McCrady and Martin Paloma. All right, welcome to the Mind on My Money podcast, hosted by uh, Neil McCrady, who is not with us today. Uh, we are kind of soloing. I've got Stacy Wall in the, in the studio with me. Uh, I'm Martin Palomo, um, Neil's co-host, and we are going to talk a, about, we're going to kind of go a little bit all over the place. We're going to talk about um, the markets. We're going to talk about how the company has evolved. But before we get cranked up and before Stacy starts talking to you, um, I want to say that this show is presented by Pinnacle Trust. Uh, if you are sitting at home and you're doing your own trading or you've got an advisor that has not been uh, you know, in communication with you, either over phone, um, you know, through a Zoom or a virtual meeting somehow, or, you know, or communicating with you some other platform and, and you're tired of doing it all on your own, give us a call 601-957-0323. Uh, we'd love the opportunity just to talk with you to see if uh, it's something that we can do different that you're not getting, um, you know, with your current advisor, or if you are your current advisor, something that you're just tired of handling all on your own. Um, you can reach us through email as well at info at PINNtrust.com. Uh, we're real active on social media. If you follow us or find us on Facebook, uh, you can follow our page, uh, the Pinnacle Trust page or the Mind on My Money page as well. Um, we were off last week. Uh, that was due to some conflicts that I had, uh, but happy to be back on this week. And before we get cranked up, I totally forgot this. Stacy, it's our birthday, man. It's our it's our one year birthday for mine on my money. Really? Yeah. So we should like have like a cake and party and yeah, the little buzzers. Absolutely. The little clacky thingy thingy yeah. rolling around. But dude, it's I'm it's crazy to think that it has been a year. I mean, it has the year has flown by. That's crazy. Congratulations. Well, congrats to you too, Mister Executive Producer. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, let me uh. Let me let Stacy <clears throat> talk a little bit about Pinnacle since he is our founder and uh, and kind of got us cranked up in in '97 and talk about how the uh, business has evolved. Yeah, thanks, Martin. Thanks for having me. Um, glad to be here. I know Neil is glad to be talking football again. Yes, he is. And I am glad to be hearing about football again. Yes, we are. Uh, so hopefully uh, that will will continue but uh yeah uh pinnacles 23 years old now yeah um and as you know and and maybe our listeners do or don't uh our four primary lines of business are investment management yep uh managing retirement plans for companies yep. we talked about that one last last okay. episode we can serve as a corporate trustee for trusts um but probably the business line that has evolved the most over the our 23-year uh, history yep. is the financial planning piece. That's right. Um, tell us about that. Yeah, you know, and financial planning has 
evolved so much in the last oh, yeah. 20. I mean, gosh, even in the last five, 10 years, it's evolved. You know, it used to so, be. Yeah, in the old days, you paid somebody yeah. $1,500 or $2,500 for a plan, and they asked you a bunch of questions, and yep. then they brought you this big, thick notebook and yep. said, here's, here's how your money should be allocated, and here's what your will should say, and here's how much insurance you should have. And you'd take that notebook, and you'd Go set it, it on, on the shelf. shelf. Yep. And you never looked at it again. Never, and it was and it was dated by the time you got home already. Right. You know, and and yeah, that was that was kind of like financial planning in a in a vacuum, right? It's 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 not something that you can visit regularly. Um, most people are not going to pull those three ring binders off the shelf, and you know, and it has evolved. And we've had, you know, we've had some great planners at Pinnacle as well. So it's one of the things that's been beauty is. Pinnacle has been this kind of incubator of, of knowledge, right? An incubator of experience. Um, you know, there's guys that have lots of gray hair that have come in and they've really mentored some of the younger guys as well. And as, as the younger guys are coming up, you know, we're coming up with some experience and some call it, you know, knowledge by osmosis that, you know, we've been able to, to get from, are more, you know, more senior advisors that, um, you know, that have, that have been at Pinnacle, whether it's on the asset management side, whether it's on the planning side. And that's a huge benefit for our clients because like for me, I mean, I'm 37. Uh, most guys who are 37, if they're in our business have probably been in the business for, you know, five years, six years. Cause statistically people younger than 30 just don't make it in our business. Cause there's not a, there's a trust factor that has to happen. And when someone's, it was the thing that I fought when you're 22 years old and you're trying to advise a 65 or a 70 year old on retirement. I mean, you're like a little peanut to right. them. I mean, yeah. there's, there's not a lot there um, that of value that you can offer. So, you know, for, I've been, I've been in the business for 16 years now and some of the, some of the big benefits that I've gotten has been on the, on the financial planning side. And so, when we sit with our clients, it is, you know, it's, it's very relevant. It's active. It's, you know, it's what's going on right now in the moment. And, and, you know, and planning is kind of like the wet part of the ocean. It's, it's everything with personal finance. It's not just, not just the asset management. Asset management is a part of planning, right? It's not just trusts. Trusts are a part of planning. Corporate retirement plans are a part of planning. So planning really is, the, you're right. The the thing we probably talk the least about, but it's actually what we do the most of with our clients. Quick success story. Yeah. And fortunately, we've had so many uh, because it is a it is a great um, joy. As you know, it's very fulfilling, satisfying to be able to help people yep. achieve financial security. Absolutely. You're because you're like, hey, I I did that. I helped with that. Right. So we, we have clients, uh, a couple, he's, uh, 62 years old now and he's just retiring. Uh, but I was introduced to him when he was 50. So 12 years ago, uh, he was referred to us by another client. And when we sat down for the first time, I asked him why we were together. And he said, um, Stacy, uh, I'm 50 years old. I've been, uh, I, I've been in this occupation for my entire life. Yep. Told me what he did, and and he said I've been very blessed. And I've been very successful, and he told me how much money he made. But then he looked at me. And he said, 
but I don't want to be doing this when I'm 80. And I said, okay. I said, so, so you need a plan. He's like, yep, that's exactly what I need. I need a plan. So long story short, uh, over the course of a few months, we put together a plan for he and his spouse. Uh, we revisited. It was not a notebook that he put on the shelf and walked away. That's right. And, and the reason that doesn't work is, you know, life evolves. Things Happens. change. Yep. I mean, walk out and it can change. Right. Uh, sickness. Yep. Job change. Yep. So many things happen. So what we did once we came up with a plan, we revisited his goals and his plan at least once a year. Yep. And sometimes it was more often if they were thinking about buying or selling a new home. Yeah, or, and we can model it out and see what yeah. what's the impact of the decision before or, you make it. Or health issues happen or those kind of things. So anyway, um, you know, now he's 62 and now he's retiring and he does not have to, with all the things that we have to worry about these days, and gosh, there's a bunch there's of a them lot. now. Yep. Uh, one thing that he and his wife do not have to worry about is money. That's right. And, and and as we like to say, we've got for them, we've got it down to one variable, and that's how much the kids are going to get when they're both gone. Yep. They don't have to worry about the stock market and the dive that we took earlier this year. It just means that the kids are going to get less. Yep. But because we put together a successful plan and we've been wise about how to invest his assets and her assets, they don't ever have anything to worry about when it comes to money. And that that's a really nice place to be. That is, you know, and I mean, and, and, th and this business is all about trust. And, you know, most of our clients during the downturn, you know, and, and it's hard to watch that stuff, but most of them did, weren't calling us on a daily basis going, what's going on? What's going on? Hey, I need to get out. I need to get out because because we have plans in places and we know things like this are going to happen that we can't foresee. But, you know, when we plan with our clients too, one of the things, and I learned this from you as well, you know, plus from a couple of other mentors that I've had is when you're planning, do it in a doomsday scenario, right? Let's, let's Smart. underestimate our return streams. Let's overestimate the expenses. We want all the surprises to the upside, all the surprises to the upside. So, when I'm planning with a client and I underestimate their returns and I overestimate their expenses and the plan looks good, then I tell them, Hey, wh whatever happens, we're going to be in good shape. Cause this is a, this is a worst case scenario. So right. we don't have to worry about if the market falls 35% in a 30 day period, you know, what is that going to do to us long-term? The people who worry about those things, they worry because they don't have a plan in place or they either don't trust the advisor and I had a I've got a couple of clients and I say a couple I have one uh, well that's not true I don't have one I have a couple that really got worried you know when this when the beginning of uh, the fall happened but it's because we don't we don't have a plan in place he they don't see the long term now we've done the planning stuff but it's just a trust issue they don't trust the plan right and uh, so speaking of uh the drop and everything and, and, and what a crazy year, 2020, right? I know. We all know. Well, it's well, supposed to be, I wonder how many people who in 2015, when they said, Hey, what, where are you going to be in five years? They totally failed that question. That, yeah. <laughs> they missed that one. I can tell we, you that. We all did. They might've gotten it right through 19, but when <laughs> 20 hit, but, and, and of course our listeners know what, what happened with the financial markets. We had that huge drop in the uh, second quarter. 
Yeah, I mean, well, through the end, through at, the the end, end. at the end of the first quarter into, into the, the, yeah, the quarter, recovery. Like 34, 35% drop on the S&P 500. Yeah, it was. Uh, and it was fast, too. It was right? fast. I mean, you're talking less than 30 days. It may have been 25, between 25 and 30 days, the market drops 35%. I mean, and I've said the term that I used was these markets are moving at the speed of light. It's breakneck right. speeds. And if you try to trade that, oh, my gosh, I mean. That's it. That's not a plan for success. You're going to get your you're going to get booty hurt. handed to you. You're going to get hurt. Yeah. So what's interesting is historically, when markets have a decline like that, over twenty percent, which would technically be called a bear market. That's right. Uh, they take four four and a half years to recover on average, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're spot on. You're you're absolutely right. It's you know, so if you break that down and that 180 day, 175, 180 day period that the markets recovered from their bottoms, it looks like, I mean, a nine time, the the markets recovered nine times faster than normal, but they also dropped probably nine, 10 times faster than normal. You don't usually see a slide like that, a 35% downturn happen in a in less than a month's time. Cause I mean that, so we were in Disney when all of it started. Uh, we went to Disney on Valentine's February 14th. We got back on like the 21st and the 19th, 20th, 21st was really when everything started sliding. Right. And so March 23rd was the bottom. So I mean, calendar days, you're talking 30 days, trading days, you're talking, you know, 20, 25 trading days that, that everything just totally, evaporated and fell apart that's just breakneck speed and you mentioned a couple of clients that panicked and boy i mean i didn't feel good uh my stomach i needed the pepto-bismol yeah. but <laughs> fortunately too. having all the gray hair and being through this at least four times uh in the history of my career i i knew that the more my stomach hurt the more a buying opportunity was presenting itself yep. and that every significant decline in the stock market has been followed by an even more significant recovery. And so we batten down the hatches and instead of panicking, we stuck to our guns and to our research and to our plan. And we actually bought during the decline. Yep. Right. We did. Yeah. We bought, we bought, we kind of bought our first slug, and again, everything's moving so fast. We were we were targeting a down twenty, but by the time we got our trades in, it was down twenty five, which that's fine. That's right. better. And then um, the second trade was was going to be right around down thirty, and uh, we got the, we got the trades in at about down thirty, and then on March twenty third, we it was moving towards that down thirty five mark, and we just knew that. That was we were down another five percent. We were going to go ahead and we were going to buy again, and uh, and we did. And we bought on the twenty third of March, which happened to be you know the bottom. We were absolutely flawless at timing <laughs> the bottom. Uh, don't make don't ask me if I can do it again because uh, <laughs> right. the answer is probably no. But you know we stuck to our discipline. We stuck to we've got a great investment management unit. Um, we are able to separate our personal emotions and all of the additional gray hairs that that we are except for Maeve she probably didn't get any new gray hairs um right yeah we were able to separate that emotion and just stick to our discipline and do it and do what we say we were going to do and then 
the recovery happened. And then we also, you know, as the markets came up, we were overweight stock, which was great for our clients. Um, you know, but we also had to have that discipline of, Hey, let's take some profits. We made some money. Let's put some hay in the barn. Let's not get greedy. And so, you know, we took some profits off the table, you know, around, around the beginning of June, it was around Mark S and P was around 3,100, you know, it's at 34 now. Am I, you know, am I upset that we didn't stay overweight for the extra 300 points on the S and P that last, that extra 10%? No, man, we went to our neutral weighting. Like we went back to where we were supposed to be. So, you know, our clients, you know, enjoyed the recovery. It's, it sucked on the way down for all of us. Um, you know, I don't, I don't generally lose, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty, uh, pretty even kill guy. Most of the time when people ask me how I'm doing, my response is reasonably well, reasonably well. <laughs> so yeah, I'm like an even kill dude. I don't get out of, I don't get bent out of shape, but you know, when, if you would ask me on, you know, March 20th, Hey man, how are you doing? And I told you reasonably well, that was just a facade because I was not reasonably well. <laughs> you know, right. you're looking at the markets down that much. And I mean, and the crazy thing is, is this is an election year. Right. And we haven't talked about elections barely any. Right. And and you've, and I want to, I want to go to this. You've talked about the three headed monster that we're, that we're facing now. But before that, what about the people that do panic? And I yeah. think you maybe have a, a an actual case where one of your clients panicked, but yeah, because you've always said, and and you're right, when you sell, when you panic sell, you've only made half the decision. That's right, because you've got to figure out when to get back in. That's right. That's the hard part. And that is the hard part. That's the hard part. Sometimes, sometimes people can panic on the front end. In a so when we were down thirty five. If someone panicked at down five, down 10, and they went to cash, and then the market slide an additional 25%. They're feeling pretty good. They're feeling really good. And really smart. And really smart, yep. And the hard part instead is- Instead of really lucky. Instead of really lucky, which in most cases, that's what it is, is it's, it's luck, but it's actually undisciplined. It is not following the discipline of, of the long-term plan. All emotions. All emotions. So when the market comes back- most of the time there's a little bit of doubt in the seller's mind, right? They're like, well, you know, it can go back down a little more. So I'm, I'm going to wait and to see if this thing is the real bottom or if it's going to go back down. And, you know, even some professionals were, were fooled that we were going to have a double bottom, that it was going to be a W shaped recovery. Right. And, um, so some professionals were like, no, you don't, now's not the time to buy in. We're going to get a double bottom by the double, the other double bottom. Well, that never happened. And if you missed the first two, three weeks of the recovery, that was the bulk of the recovery. So if you look the week, that last week of March, first week of April, those were when you, when you saw, you know, the, the markets were up 10, up 12%, you know, each week. So if you miss out on those big chunks of return, it's hard to, you know, and then, and then the, the thought creeps into people's minds, well, the market's overvalued, so I can't, I can't buy back in. It's going to go back down. Well, then what happens? The market just keeps moving against you. It goes back up. And then if you got out at the S&P level at 3,100, so when the markets were down 10%, now the S&P is at 
right around 3,400 as we record this, give or take 10 points. If you, you're still out, you're in bad shape. You missed it. You yeah. missed the you're, you missed the wealth creation train. What so, have you said about it's not about timing the market? Yeah, time it, in the market. It's about time time in the market. And I'm gonna there's a let's talk about baseball real quick. I know I hate Neil's not on this because he would probably love he would be eating this segment up. Absolutely. So let's talk about regrets. And I I think this is the theme of the podcast too. Regret trades. Regrets. So. When you did something you shouldn't have or you didn't do something that you should have. So let's just look at the um, the Yankees, right? So, or, I mean, I'm sorry, the Red Sox. So Babe Ruth, probably one of the most famous baseball players in history, right. was um, was traded to the from the Red Sox to the Yankees in, uh, in 19, 1920. And that led to like what an 86-year – I think it's 86 years what the – what I read drought of championships. So that was like the, that was called what the curse of the Bambino. Right. Right. Yeah. Do you think the Red Sox regretted? I mean, look at what, look at what Babe Ruth did once he joined the Yankees. Yeah. Right. I mean, it was just like on fire, right? Next 15 years, what the Yankees won the American league pennant and like four world series or something like that. Incredible run. That's a regret, right? You think yeah. the Red Sox didn't, <laughs> didn't kick themselves about that. You know, then the, another one I didn't realize I read about. So one of our Mississippi boys, our, one of our Mississippi natives, Brett Favre. Right. Do you know, and I didn't know this, and I'm, I know you, you probably, you might know this. Do you know who he played for before he was a Green Bay Packer? The Atlanta Falcons. Oh my gosh. I didn't know that. Uh, that's who drafted him, right? So, yep. He was traded from the Falcons to the Packers in 92 and 1992. And then, I mean, went on to, uh, a, a Hall of Fame career. Right. I mean, you think the Falcons – and then how many quarterbacks did the Falcons go through? They said it's 16 QBs, uh, starting QBs, that the Falcons went through after trading Brett Favre to the Packers. Yeah. Incredible. I mean, a regret, right? You think the Falcons right. regretted that trade? Absolutely. So, you know, what we don't want our clients to do is have regret trades as well. So there's the wealth creation train – and that thing is moving, and you have to stay on that train. Even when you think that the curve ahead is like an, a track that's out of service or something like that, it's, it's not a track that's out of service. Getting off of the wealth creation train, once you jump off of that bad boy, trying to jump back on it if the train has left the station is practically impossible. Right, and, and the key to being able to stay on the track and with your plan is to have a plan. Have a plan. To you know, have a plan. if you don't have a plan, then it is so easy to let your emotions take over. And as, as you know, as study after study after study showed, shows, people. I, and when I get to heaven, I'm. I can't wait to find this out. Why God wired us to buy at the top of markets and sell at the bottom and because we, <laughs> yeah. we we buy based on emotions yep. and we get greedy at the tops and want more and we get panic at the bottoms and sell yep. it, it's the absolute wrong way to do it so that you've got to have a plan you gotta have a plan it's just like so last night so gia's birthday was august 5th and it was before school started and her school has started back now and um so she doesn't get to do the birthday party stuff and uh, with, you know, like when her birthday comes along. So what the school lets her do is all the 
summer birthdays, they can have their birthday celebrations, quote unquote, and you just bring a snack to school and everyone sings you happy birthday. So Gia's was August 5th. And as we record, this is August 20th. School just started back for her. So last night we made Rice Krispie Treats, homemade Rice Krispie Treats for Gia to take to school. They're individually packaged um, for them to enjoy. Now, if I would have gone and not read the back of the Rice Krispie Treat box that told me I needed, for one batch of Rice Krispie Treats, I needed six cups of Kellogg's Rice Krispies, five and a half cups of marshmallows, and three tablespoons of butter. That makes a perfect Rice Krispie Treat. If I didn't follow the plan and the recipe, and I was just like, ah, you know what? I think eight cups of Rice Krispie Treats and maybe only three cups of the of the marshmallows and, you know, one tablespoon of butter. Well. They'd have been hard and crunchy, and, and they would have been garbage. No one would have wanted <clears> them, right? But because I followed a recipe from start to finish, we ended up with a perfect Rice Krispie Treat. And I say we. I mean, Jen... Jen was really <laughs> did most of the <laughs> making of the Rice Krispie treats, and Gia and I were her samplers to make. We were quality assurance. You got to lick the spoon. We licked the spoons, and I got to carve off little tiny corners to make sure that it was good. But the reason we had success with the Rice Krispie treat is because we followed the plan. I didn't try to make the recipe up as I went along, and that's where people's financial plans get destroyed is when they're just trying to make it up as they go. That's why professionals, you know, have value. Our value. Our real value to our clients is in the planning and the handholding, not the, you know, we do add value in times of, you know, like February and March where we can take the emotion out of investing, but the real value is, is making the plan and helping people stick to the plan. Right. So Martin, we've got just a few minutes, I think maybe about 10 minutes left. So, so we've been through this incredible year with everything and here we are, it's only August. (laughs) We've got a few months to go. Yeah. Uh, we've got the election ahead of us. Yep. We've still got virus issues. Yep. Um, you mentioned a, a three-headed monster, I think, that you talked yep. about we're facing. Uh, tell us about that. Uh, yeah, you know, so usually in election years with markets, the main driver of, of markets is is the elections. That's what, that's what we're talking about. Everyone is dissecting, you know, tax policies. Everyone's dissecting foreign relations policies, you know, all of those things. And that's all the news is talking about. And they're bashing whichever side they don't like on their thing. And that's, that's all that we talk about. And that is the main driver of markets, except in 2020. So most people, and I'm sure if we ask most people, Hey, what's the most important thing this year with, with regards to markets, presidential, presidential elections. Absolutely. That's what people are going to say. And they're all wrong. Not only is it not the most important, it's not even the second most important. It is. It comes in number three of that three-headed beast that we have to fight this year. It's number three. Well, tell us about the other two heads. It's crazy to think about because, you know, we of course the coronavirus is is still the largest, um, you know, driver of volatility uh, in the market. I mean, in in to financial markets. I I feel like once a vaccine is is in place and we keep getting closer and closer to it even if people don't use it it's a placebo right it's there if i need to go get a vaccine i can go get it or if a treatment is available if i if i get the coronavirus and i need a treatment i'm not going to die i'm not going to my mom is not going to die you know my we have all of these safeguards in place that'll release some of the anxiety people will get moving again people will travel people will spend money that'll get the economy 
rocking and rolling again because even though financial markets have recovered, the economy is still not fully recovered yet. We still have a good bit of ways to go, you know, and you can look at, you know, in the Southeast, we all, most of us know what Steinmart is. I, that's where I buy a lot of my shirts and slacks. You know, they filed for bankruptcy. Bankruptcy doesn't necessarily mean they cease to exist. They're just reorganizing debts. Um, you know, the... A lot of retailers have... A lot of retailers have. That, right? and that's not necessarily meaning that the world's coming to an end because on the other side, if you look at where the tech has driven, and that's why tech has led this, you know, market recovery, the technology has found the ways to get the things done that retailers couldn't do. Retailers couldn't prove that they were socially distancing very well. They couldn't, you know, entice folks back in with without fear of, you know, the unknown. Whereas Amazon was like, hey, you don't want to leave your house and you like that little dress, that sunflower dress that's twenty nine ninety nine at Steinmart, I'll ship the thing right to your door. You'll have it in two days. Have it in, yeah, or or maybe even the next day if yeah. you're a prime and it's on prime and it's available on prime. But so yeah, you know, that's been a big you know, the economy will come back. Coronavirus is still the number one driver of markets. If for whatever reason, which I don't think it's going to happen, we hit a lockdown again, we would see markets fall again. Um, Trump has said he is not doing that. And even if he loses the election in November, he is still president all the way through, you know, through mid January. And I just don't see a lockdown. That's the chances of lockdown again are so small. I don't even think that they register. So, but but we could have a slower recovery. We could if, have a slow recovery. We don't get this thing under control. If outbreaks jump up again, which, you know, once flu season kind of kicks in, that's where I'm curious to see is what's yeah. going to happen in the fall when you have and you're battling both. flu and coronavirus. Yeah, is it going to rear its ugly little head again? I don't know. We'll, we'll kind of see what happens there. The other big one is one that we don't talk about a lot. It was, a, it was all of the conversation in January of this year, which was that, U.S. and China trade relations. And if you think about U.S. and China economies, it's like the 2,000-pound King Kong gorillas that are just in a boxing ring, and they're just beating the ever-living crap out of each other right now. You know, right. Trump is a gorilla. President Xi is a gorilla, and they're just hammering it out. Um, you know, what you don't want for certainty in financial markets is the two largest economies fighting each other. Um, you want coexistence to happen where, you know, the emerging, the biggest emerging market economy and the largest developed market economies can get along together. Now, are there some balances that need to happen? Sure. I totally agree with that. Do, you know, we need to say, you know, Hey, I'm taking my toys and back to my sandbox and you take your toys to your sandbox and we're not playing with each other at all. No, that doesn't need to happen. You know, but does there need to be security things addressed, you know, labor issues addressed? Sure. Absolutely. I can, I can totally get behind that and some fairness in the trade balance. I'm totally behind that, but I don't want to beat each other up. That's the second largest driver of volatility. And just like in January, you know, it seems 2020 seems like a weird year because we had, you know, all of the tariff stuff was finally coming to an end. So U S U S China trade relations had gotten better. And then remember we had like the impeachment and the Russia stuff that feels like that was two years ago. (laughs) Yeah. That was only that was only seven months ago, man. Um, so not only have markets moved at the speed of light, but the year has moved at the speed of light to make it feel like it's you know two three years ago. So you know of of the three big objects or biggest p- pieces of volatility or potential for disruption to financial markets, 
you know, you've got the coronavirus is number one. It probably has the largest impact if things go awry. U.S.-China trade relations is number two. It's got the second largest impact. I would say equity markets could be down 15% if things go totally backwards with U.S.-China trade relations. And then the elections, believe it or not, I mean, even if the incumbent loses the White House and the Senate, and let's just go, let's just say there's total change in the White House and the Senate, and it's a blue wave, it'll have a little bit of of a short-term impact, but long-term it's not. It's just not as big of a deal as it has been in the past. And some of that is that markets are pricing in things a lot faster today than they have, you know, even four years ago when futures went nuts election night, when we thought Hillary had the thing in the bag, and then all of a sudden Trump comes with a landslide victory and just bludgeons her with his thousand pound gorilla right. <laughs> beat down. Yeah. Um, you know, futures went crazy, but you know, then you look at markets post election, man, they've been they've minus, you know, one year, they've been really awesome. So so, so what do we have in our bag of tricks to fight the three headed monster with? What tailwinds do we have for the financial markets? You know, that's a good question and you really have to seg I'm gonna have to segment that answer out because um so let's talk about tailwinds for stocks per se. Um of course if Trump if Trump wins and he's reelected and his policy is able to continue to go, you know, that's I think that's gonna be a tailwind for financial markets. Stocks will continue to rise. He's very pro business, um, you know, very uh anti tax. You know, we do have some debts we're going to have to pay with all of this coronavirus stimulus stuff at some point. But let's just say that, um, you know, the dollar continues to weaken, that oil gets kind of back to normal. That's really good for non-U.S., you know, stocks. So we could even have things go bad in the U.S., and our clients are, are invested globally. So our non-U.S. investments, whether it's developed Europe and developed, you know, non-U.S. markets, and our emerging markets could really pick up and they've underperformed the U.S. in the past, and it could be a flip-flop where you know the developed non-U.S. and emerging market stocks pick up the weight and carry us through, even if U.S. is down. So diversification is crucial across the board, period. In bonds, man, that is a tough place to be right now. Um, interest rates are really, really, really uh, low. I'm trying to be creative with how we generate income without adding you know, too much additional risk into the portfolio. And that's the hardest problem to solve at the moment. We do have our hedges on. Um, I'm going to say I'm optimistic, but I'm cautiously optimistic. I've got our hedges in for in the event that something unforeseen happens and we get a dip, we've got the, we've got some brace for impact there. Some, some insurance on the portfolio um, per se. And then, you know, in one piece of the alt portfolio is more of an income oriented strategy. So it's generating the more volatility we have, the better it is for that strategy because it generates income from options. Um, and that's, I won't go into the details of it, but it's a, it's an income generating strategy that when volatility is high, it's good for that one. But if the kind of proverbial defecation hits the oscillation and markets go down, we've got the other hedges there to offset that piece. So we are just like spread out everywhere. We are totally diversified and that's, in times of that's uncertainty, the place to be. that's the place to be. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's, that, that's great, Martin. Um, it, it is a time of uncertainty, and I think we are positioned correctly uh, being diversified across the board. And, yep. uh, you've done a great job leading us 
uh, as the chief investment officer, and, and we just need to keep it up. I appreciate you, man. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited about our future. I'm happy to be, you know, help leading uh, leading the team and, and then leading our clients to successful uh, retirements as well. Well, I appreciate you having me on. Indeed, I enjoyed it. Until uh, I guess until next time, next week, maybe we'll uh, we'll talk a little football and stuff too. But uh, for me, Martin Palomo, our ghost co-host Neil McCready, who is finally podcasting about football, so we gave him the week off. And then uh, our executive producer and guest today, uh, founder and CEO of Pinnacle Trust, Stacy Wall. We thank y'all for listening, and we'll see you soon.